0: Uh, we're going to be opening up, actually, to the book of Romans, which is in the New Testament, uh, changing it up a little bit this week. Uh, we're going to Romans chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 4 through 13. Uh, if you see one of these hardback blue Bibles, you can grab one of those. They're all throughout the room. I'd love for everybody to have a copy of God's Word uh, in front of them. You can turn to page 1,128 if you need a hard blue, a hardback blue Bible. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, please take that Bible home. We'd love for it to be a gift to you. Uh, if you're with us for the last several weeks, you may know that we're going through this series called Whole Right Now. Uh, well, uh, I thought we'd be at the all-church retreat, you know, several months ago when I made this schedule, so I have a free Sunday today uh, before we dive in next week into the minor prophets starting in Hosea. So I thought it'd be helpful this morning if we just sort of stepped back and did a recap of where we've been for the last several months. Um, also, it's been sort of an eventful, you know, past few days for our family uh, if you don't know already, Caroline is expecting baby number five, so yeah, yes, none of you know my terror, apparently. Um, but yeah, Caroline 's mom moved in next door and we 've got baby number five. So if you want to grow more kids with us, join the team. You know we would you know it's never too late, right? God can do all things. He can break every chain, right. Uh, but with that, friends, uh, that's just a little personal. I don't know how to share that, you know. And I don't want you to feel left out on that news. Um, so anyway, so with that, let's go to Romans chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 4 through 13. And hopefully you'll understand why this may be a wonderful passage today. But also for us as we look back on the Old Testament and the whole story of God's word. Uh, this is Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 4. For whatever was written in former days And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Would you be seated and let's pray together. Oh God of encouragement and endurance. The father of mercies. Oh God of hope. Lord, would you grant us by the power of your Holy Spirit, the transformation from one degree of glory to another. Holy Spirit, we are here in your house. Would you be at work within us? In Jesus name we pray. Amen. You know, what do you think you need right now? What do you think you need right now? You know, have you ever, you know, one of the worst things about having to preach in person and also online is that I have to watch myself occasionally online. And it's a terrible experience because when I, when I listen to myself, I think, is that what I sound like? Is that really what my voice sounds like? You know, do you remember back in the day when you used to leave voice messages with people? Did anyone still leave a voice message on a phone? Have you ever heard your own voice on a voice message? And you're like, who is that? And someone's like, that's you. And you're like, that's not what I sound like. And what do they say? That's exactly what your voice sounds like, you know? Uh, Well, I think when there's this, you know, struggle to sort of, you know, know our voice and see who we really are, uh, what I find is sometimes you and I are the last people to really be able to see who we are. And sometimes the last people to really know what we need. Uh, So when I ask you, what do you need? Uh, I'd I'd ask you to maybe think about that for just a second and reflect on maybe we don't always know what we need, right? I mean, think about it. If you've ever gone to the doctor, right, you may think you know what you need, but the doctor may have a very different, more profound understanding of what you need, right? Well, I know that you are all very intelligent, and I consider you all my friends. If I don't know you already, I would love to get to know you better. Uh, But I think when we ask ourselves, what do we need Right now, uh, I would suggest that in honesty, each of us kind of has an idea, but at a more deeper level, maybe you and I don't actually really know what we need. Just like we don't really always know what our voice really sounds like. And so, what I guess I would suggest to you is when you and I take a pause on this whole series, if you look at the book of Romans, Paul is talking to a very diverse group of people who are unified not because they're the same ethnicity or financial status, or they come from the same parts of town. What unites the people in Rome, in the church in Rome is that they love Jesus and have been saved by him. And Paul is telling them what they need, even if they don't quite know it themselves. And so if you look at Romans chapter 15, he's speaking to a group of people going through all sorts of things in their life and as a loving friend, on behalf of Jesus, Paul is saying, friends, this is what you need, and this is really what we all need right now. And if you have been with us long enough, you may have heard that our theme verse for this year is actually in Romans 15, right? The service is going to end in just a you know, few minutes later on uh, with Romans 15 as our benediction, our closing blessing. Because when we were picking a theme verse earlier this year, we really felt like what the Lord had laid on our hearts is that our people needed endurance and they needed encouragement. And last year in 2020, anybody remember what the theme verse was for 2020? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So last year we felt like God was you know, communicating to us that our people needed hope. And this year we feel like we need endurance and encouragement and what's happening in Romans 15, if you can believe it, is Paul's looking at a group of believers who are very diverse, and he says, I, you probably have an idea of what you need, but in case you don't know what you need, what Paul says in Romans 15 is what you need is you need endurance, you need encouragement, and you need hope. You need hope. So I would suggest to you that perhaps that's what you need today, whether or not you're willing." To hear it. You know, when we think about these three things, right, endurance, you know, if I had to guess that many of us are sort of just like hunkering down the batches and just trying to get through this year, right? Somebody was saying the other day uh, that 2021 really just feels like 2020. Both of these years are sort of congealing into one terrible nightmare, right? Uh, well, for some of us, when we think about endurance, if I said you need endurance, I think some of us think, well, that just means I need to harden my heart. I just need to get tougher, But that's actually the opposite of what Paul says endurance looks like. It's not a hardening of your heart. It's actually an opening up of your heart more and more to the gospel. And for some of us, we may say, well, I don't need encouragement. I can get by by myself. Well, Paul doesn't agree with that. And then I don't know, when I talk to people about hope right now, they they talk to me like it's like the iPhone 3. Like it's this outdated thing that maybe used to exist in the world, but nobody really wants or needs it anymore. But friends, don't give up on hope, right? That's the thing that we actually need. So as you're thinking about those things and asking yourself if you need today more endurance, more encouragement, and more hope, maybe start thinking about where are you going to find those things? Where do you go to find endurance? Is it just thickening your skin? Where do you go for encouragement? Cable news? Where do you go for hope? I don't know, did you throw it out in the recycle bin this week? Well, let me make a suggestion to you. And I think this is how we're supposed to read the Bible, right? Seeing what the Bible is saying and trying to place ourselves in this story. What Paul says is you and I, we need endurance, encouragement, and hope. And then if you and I try to figure out, well, where do I find those things in this life? Notice where Paul goes in Romans 15 to find those things look at verse four for what was written in the former days was written for our instruction that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have what hope you see of all the places you could look for endurance and encouragement and hope All the different avenues, all the different bottles, all the different self-help books, all the different cable news networks, what Paul says to do, and where Paul goes to give endurance and encouragement and hope to his people to set before them a feast, Paul says you go to the Old Testament. Look at verse four, for what was written in former days. You know what he means by that? He says, what the Old Testament tells us is meant to be for you and me today, New Testament Jesus worshiping born again Christians is to be the source of our endurance and our encouragement and our hope. That's why we have the Old Testament. And that's why we've been in the Old Testament for like months. And I'm so proud of you. Just going through this series has given you endurance. I know it has. And you're going to need endurance when we get through the minor prophets starting next week. So I guess that begs the question, uh, you know, how does the Old Testament give us these things? How does the whole Old Testament give you and me endurance, encouragement, and hope? Well, let's look at endurance, right? Notice right there, uh, verse uh, f- 5, right? May the God of endurance, right? So there's that idea, endurance. Where does the Old Testament give us Endurance. Uh, Well, if you remember last week, I suggested to you that there are certain things in life that can serve as sort of a catalyst for deeper faith in Jesus, right? There are certain moments in your life where if you follow Jesus, you will be stronger for it. And unfortunately, uh, in a way, one of those catalysts for deeper discipleship uh, is often suffering and hardship. But when you go through a hard season of life or something very difficult happens... That is actually an opportunity for you to decide that you are going to use and see your hardship and season of affliction as an opportunity to realign your path and reset it. And what Paul is telling you and me as New Testament believers, just like he was telling the people in Rome, is that if you want to see examples of what endurance looks like, go to the stories that were written in the past in the scriptures, so where do we see examples of endurance in the Old Testament? Uh, well, I'll give you sort of two examples, a guy and a girl. Uh, you know, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is the story of Esther. Uh, who was here for the Esther sermon? I'm not asking you if you remember. Just remember, do you remember there was a sermon on Esther. Well, Esther is this uh, poor young teenage girl who's going through all kinds of affliction. Uh, she's been forced into a marriage with the most powerful man in the world, and she has to go through a life sort of strategizing how is she going to stand for the Lord, but also stay alive, right? That's <laughs> a very real concern. How is she going to stay alive and also stand for the Lord? And everything sort of hinges. This whole, the whole door of the book opens up in chapter 4. Because in chapter four, Esther realizes there's a plot to kill all of God's people. And she has been placed as the queen of the empire for a unique moment in time. And it's not an easy time. In fact, it's a terrible time. It's the worst possible time for a teenager to be going through. And yet her uncle Mordecai comes to her and says, you need to take a stand for the Lord. I need to hold to your convictions and you've got to do what you can do to save us all. And then Mordecai gives her the most famous words in the book of Esther. He says, how do you know whether you are not put into this position for such a time as this? And what I love, if you go back and, you know, you can listen to the sermon on Esther. You can just read Esther. Uh, if, you, if, you're in a, if you're with us in our daily Bible reading, you'll read Esther 4 this week uh, as part of our recap. But what I love about Esther is she's a perfect example of what endurance looks like. There are not clear, you know, steps for her always to take in the book of Esther, right? And when you and I sort of face life in the years to come, there's not always going to be super clear, choose option A or, you know, evil, terrible option B, which is sure to kill all the puppies in the world, right? You and I are not always faced with totally clear options. Uh, Instead, what's been given to us is the Holy Spirit, God's inerrant word, and examples of people like Esther, who have been placed in terrible situations with much hardship, and they've tried to do what's right and stand for what they believe in. And what Paul's saying to the Romans is he, Paul cannot imagine all of the different scenarios that these Roman believers are going through. Some of them were Jewish. Some of them were Gentiles, which means they were like all the other ethnic groups besides Jews. They're like people like me, maybe people like you. And some of them were getting beat by their slave owners. And some of them were free and some of them were wealthy and some of them weren't important. Some of them were very important. And Paul can't tell every believer throughout time, every little thing to do but isn't it awesome that God has given you and me stories that we can study throughout time and try to glean. How did Esther stay alive and when did she know when to hold them and when did she know when to fold them? Right? That's what you and I need right now. You and I need some sort of biblical wisdom. You know, don't you wish you could just be like Jesus? What are we supposed to do? And you know what Jesus says, be wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. Like, well, how am I supposed to choose? How am I supposed to make all these various decisions when life is constantly changing? The New Testament says, if the Holy Spirit is in you, don't worry. Surrender, follow the Spirit's prompting. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. You know, another great example that we've studied about endurance Uh, is my boy, Danny, you know, Danny, you may know him, Daniel or Belteshazzar is his other name. Well, if you read the book of Daniel, like we, we did this past week in the co-op, you know, I love all of these examples about Daniel and what I want you to focus on, uh, and this will just be very brief, but think about the story of Daniel in this way. Daniel had core convictions about who God was, and he was willing to put his life on the line but he wasn't bombastic. He wasn't accusatory as he did it. He was disciplined and he was respectful, even in the face of suffering. But on another level, think about Daniel in this way. What was Daniel's job? What was Daniel's job? Anybody know? Was he a pastor? Is that what Daniel was? Was he just a preacher? No, Daniel worked for the king. Which one of them? Well, he worked for Nebuchadnezzar. He worked for uh, Darius he worked for Cyrus and if you wanted to come with a list of some bad guys in the bible you could do worse than Nebuchadnezzar Cyrus Darius you know Nebuchadnezzar the guy who destroyed the temple in Jerusalem and burned Jerusalem to the ground well place yourself in Daniel's shoes imagine Nebuchadnezzar was your boss and part of your job the main part of your job was to make sure that you managed his resources and his treasures well so that he grew in prestige now, of course, if you place yourself in a lifetime like Daniel, uh, he started working for Nebuchadnezzar when he was a teenager and he outlasted all these other kings. You know, he died as an old man. Daniel managed throughout his life to know when to take a stand for Christ, when to say, I'm not going to bow down to the, you know, the golden image of Nebuchadnezzar. But he also knew how to work for his employer his whole life in a respectful way. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? Daniel, the respectful employee. Does that preach? (laughs) Not quite as exciting, is it? But it's more honest. It's more true the text. And if you think about Daniel in that light, you'll see him more and more as an example of what does endurance look like? Daniel went his whole life in the employ of people he did not agree with, who did not worship the Lord and did not share his faith convictions. And yet God saw him through it all. Part of the ways that I, I would suggest to you that Daniel can show how, you and I how to do that? Maybe this, this may not mean anything to you. This is very meaningful to me. Uh, but in Daniel chapter six, uh, when you know, the famous story of Daniel being thrown into the lion's den, when you go to Daniel's life, in Daniel chapter six, verse 10 and 11, and so on, what happens is Daniel is told to do something that you know, he obviously cannot do. He's not going to bow down. Uh, And he's not going to not pray to his God, right? He's not going to, you know, only pray to the gods of Babylon. Well, you know, there's this edict that says he's got to do it. And the very first thing that Daniel does, he doesn't go and appeal to the king. He doesn't tell him he's wrong. He doesn't start a picket. What Daniel does in verse 10 to me is very helpful. And it's a guide for me. And maybe it'll be a guide for you. But if you go to Daniel chapter six, verse 10, it said, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, you know, outlawing him praying to the, his Lord for 30 days, Daniel went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. And then he did what, anybody there? It says, he, he literally got down on his knees like he had done three times a day, just as he always had, and he prayed. Think about that as a strategy. <laughs> Daniel's forced to do something he doesn't wanna do. He doesn't, do I take a stand, do I not? And the first thing that he does is he goes back to his daily rhythm of prayer. Do you have that kind of daily rhythm? To me, this is very encouraging to me. The way that you know I hope to lead the church and I hope to lead my family and my wife and my kids is not by being smarter than everybody. It's by disciplining myself to constantly go to the Lord on my knees and pray so that when something terrible happens, that's my muscle memory. That's my go-to instinct. You know, we sometimes want to think things are just like grandiose and we can be very, you know, creative and just, we're just going to have this insight in the moment. But friends, what I would suggest to you is following Christ may actually be a more of a discipline than you realize, Think about it this way. Um, this is something N.T. Wright pointed out to me in his book about uh, discipline. N.T. Wright pointed out that um, you know that story about the miracle on the Hudson. Anybody remember the story of the miracle on the Hudson? What happens? Scully, right? I don't know if anyone ever called him that, but it's such a great nickname, right? So there's this pilot, and they're flying over New York City. This is a few years ago. Remember what happens in the story? There's a movie about this, and what happens? Bird attacks, right? You know, the birds come, the engines go out, and then, you know, the pilot only has a few minutes to land the airplane, and he miraculously does it, you know, on the Hudson. But what NT Wright points out in his book is if we call that thing the miracle on the Hudson, we're actually disrespecting the pilot. It wasn't a miracle. I mean, it is a miracle in that sense that God is in everything. But how was the pilot able to know in a split second how to keep everybody alive? It's because, like every great pilot, he has disciplined himself for a lifetime and spent tens of thousands of hours in a cockpit doing rote things so that when an emergency hits, he knew what to do and how to land the airplane. You see, if we just say, oh, he just got lucky, or you know, you know, it was just a miracle. Actually, it's downplaying everything that he had done for a lifetime to be ready for that moment. Daniel was ready for his moment because he prayed three times a day and had built a sort of spiritual muscle memory. Now friends, what I would encourage you to do then is to think and reflect, do you have the spiritual vitality, the personal connection with God through prayer and the word do you exercise spiritually enough so that when you are faced with a terrible decision in the future, you're gonna have a basic idea of what to do? You've got that muscle memory. Um, I think sometimes we, we're, we want the miracle when instead we need the spiritual discipline. Like I said, I don't know if that's helpful for you, but when I think about enduring you know, as a pastor and as a husband and as a father, I don't think about it being the sort of miraculous you know, lightning bolt of power from heaven think about it being like i need to be disciplined love my wife every day love my kids every day be with the lord every day and if i do that in the little things if i'm faithful in the little maybe god will get me through the big so where do we see in the old testament encouragement you know paul seems to think in romans 15 that the old testament is a great place to mine encouragement right to find encouragement Uh, Well, if you look where Paul's going, look at verse 5. He then goes on and even claims that God is the God of encouragement. May the God of endurance and encouragement, right there in verse 5 you see it, encouragement grant you, that's y'all, that's plural, (laughs) grant y'all to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together y'all may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, You know, friends, I think the place that we look to to find encouragement, at least according to Paul, is actually through other believers, right? Where Paul says we find encouragement is by singing in harmony with one another. Anybody know what harmony is? You know, it's kind of like a hokey image sometimes. I know it could be kind of cheesy, but I love harmony, and probably every song you've ever loved is full of harmony, right? This is why people love the Beatles, right? Even to this day, people love the Beatles because John and Ringo are constantly harmonizing, Right? Or is it not Ringo? Who's the other guy? Paul. Paul. Yeah, it was it's Paul and Mick and Ringo, right? Those are the <laughs> Beatles, right? Is that wrong? What I should do is I should name all like 17 of the guys in BTS and then I would really impress y'all. Those dudes can harmonize. Right? It's a little of a hokey of analogy, but a harmony is where you would sing a G and the next person next to you sings an A. Was that right? You would sing a what? A, a B? All right, there we go. A G and a B, right? You'd sing the third and the fifth. All right, I'm making sure. I got my worship guy confirming the sermon in real time. <laughs> But harmony, right, is this image of you singing a note and someone else singing a different note, but they make something more and more beautiful, right? Like a husband and a wife. They're equal, but they're different. And in that difference, but also equality, there's something beautiful that they couldn't produce on their own. You know, you being one of them. But friends, you know, when Paul wants there to be encouragement, he sees it primarily through the lens of coming from other believers, which is why I was suggesting to you last week that having a deep community of other believers is an impre- incredibly important catalyst for deeper discipleship. I mean, do you think Daniel could have gotten through life without Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Apparently God didn't think so because he gave Daniel Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego so that they together could stand and hold the line. I mean, you know, Ecclesiastes says a three cord knot is not easily broken, right? A Three cord knot is not easily broken. Or, you know, when I think about encouragement, um, I think about my friend, Jerry, you know, the prophet Jeremiah, who was here for the Jeremiah one. I'm sorry I fooled all of you. I know that was a little hokey. But if you remember in the life of Jeremiah, when Jeremiah was deep down in the cistern, in the pit, How does he get out of the pit? Anybody remember? There was an Ethiopian named Ebed-Melech who came to his rescue. You see what Jeremiah needed in his hour of discouragement was he needed encouragement from somebody else, another follower of Jesus. And so God sent another believer to pull Jeremiah up from the pit. And then what's really great is if you keep reading in the book of Jeremiah, I, I didn't mention this in my sermon but if you read into Jeremiah 39, what's really cool is, um, you know, when Nebuchadnezzar destroys the city, Jeremiah returns the favor and he goes to his friend and he says, you know what the Lord told me? The Lord told me you're gonna be okay, Ebed-Melech. God's gonna deliver you. And Ebed-Melech survives the destruction of the city. And just like Ebed-Melech delivered Jeremiah, Jeremiah delivers a message later on to his friend that God's got your back too. Isn't that beautiful? So Paul seems to think that one of our sources of encouragement is other believers, each other. And then that's what we see all throughout the Old Testament. I mean, where would Naomi be without Ruth? Remember the story of Ruth and Naomi? Naomi's lost everything. She's got this daughter-in-law, Ruth. And remember when Naomi moves back to Jerusalem, Naomi says, don't call me Naomi. I've got a new name. It's Mara, which means bitter, And everyone's like, okay, take it easy. We're not going to call you that. No one ever calls her that. (laughs) You know, by the end of the book, they call her Naomi again. But where would Naomi be without Ruth saying, your God will be my God, your people will be my people, right? All throughout the Old Testament, there's examples of God giving a blessing of grace to his people through other people. And, you know, I don't know the future, but... What I can say is it certainly seems like we are headed potentially, I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna get a little weird, okay? So if you don't like this, just don't listen to me for a second. But I'm gonna get a little weird, okay? It seems we are entering a world right now where we may enter into a world where there are two tiers of society, those within and those without. How should a Christian live in that world. Paul says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. And Ephesians 2 says he has torn down the walls of hostility between all people. And in the place of all the two people, there's one, one new man in Christ. So if we enter into a world where there are two tiers of society, Christian, I would lovingly remind you that is not how you learned Christ. Okay, I'm done being weird. Where do we find hope? Where is it, you know, Paul finishes this whole passage with hope. You know, do you see that verse 13? Paul, as a loving friend, tells the Roman Christians and you and me that we need endurance, we need encouragement, and we need hope. That's where he ends, verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen. Well, it's very interesting to me where Paul goes to find hope. It's not sort of on uh, you know, the back of a Hallmark card, right? It's not this sort of pie in the sky, just vague concept of hope that things are going to get better. For Paul, hope is very, very specific and hope has a name. And it's the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ who was promised in the Old Testament, who came to rule the world, even the Gentiles, who was prophesied to suffer. And on the third day, come back from the dead and to sit at the right hand of God until he returns. That's Paul's hope. It is a cross-centered hope. And I know, like, I love the cross behind me. I really do. I think I, sometimes I'll come in here and I'll just pray and look at the cross. And, um, you know, I like to make the sign of the cross, although that may weird you out too, but I love you anyway. But I love the cross and it's very meaningful, but on a whole other level, I mean, just do a thought experiment for me. What if our image was not a cross, but an empty tomb? (laughs) What would that communicate to us? Jesus really is alive. And he promises you it is better that he is in heaven so that he can send his Holy Spirit to dwell within us. And that is the source of our hope. I know Jesus is alive because I was dead in my sin and now I am alive by the Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead has brought you, Christian, to life. And the Spirit is the down payment of your inheritance for eternity. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, friends, come to Jesus today, confess your sins, acknowledge Jesus as savior so that you can be born again. I mean, when Paul is talking about having a hope, it's not that things are gonna get fixed in society. It is fixed on the one who is not on the cross anymore. And it is wrought by the Holy Spirit himself. May the God of hope, Fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Friends, this is our hope. Jesus is alive. The Holy Spirit dwells in anyone who calls upon his name. It is not a hope in society. It is an external hope. Um, it is a hope that has the audacity that says there is a world to come that the eye cannot imagine nor the mind even dream of what it's going to be like when Jesus returns to make all things new. It's an audacious hope. So let me just sort of finish up, you know, going back to that analogy, you know, um, Proverbs says in Proverbs 17 that the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. You know why you have friends? You know why I have friends? Because they give us earnest counsel, right? And I hope, again, that you really do see me as your friend. And uh, if I've hurt you, you know, faithful are the wounds of a friend, right? And sometimes your weird friends are your favorite friends because we're a little crazy. But step back and just sort of diagnose yourself for a second. Do you need endurance? Do you need encouragement? Do you need hope? And do you know where to find them? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord, that you have written in the former times examples for us to be inspired by. And even better, Lord, that all of the prophets, Isaiah, the Psalms, they all point to the coming of your son, Jesus, who has torn down the walls of hostility between all people. Father, would you strengthen us for the days to come? Lord, we as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. And Father, even now by your Holy Spirit, would you be calling people to trust in the name of your son, Jesus, and would they be filled with the Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The song we'd like to sing for you.